Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. We're going to get in the Word of God this morning, and uh, we're on our fourth and uh, fourth time uh, for uh, on this sermon series, Where Are We Going From Here? Where Are We Going? And so I hope that in this time, that as you've been here uh, through some of these weeks, uh, if you've missed some of that, I encourage you to go back. You can uh, get on the podcast or get on the website and pull up some of the uh, older, older messages as well. But I hope it has challenged you to look forward to the future that God is laying out for us at Topeka First and what, what God has for us. And we all have so many things that surround us at this time after the pandemic and, and during a time of challenging, uh, fi- uh, during a challenging financial world, you know, all those things that have happened. But, but yet the call of Jesus is just as strong and maybe even stronger than what it has been in the past. I don't know that the task that Christ has put before us as a church is not for those who are willing to just shrink back and hide. All of us grow and we get closer to him and he helps us and he builds us up in faith. And It's for those who are willing to put their feet on the edge of the water and see if the water will hold them. I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit scary at times, doesn't it? Uh, But it's a reminder to us that we need to look to him and trust to him because we don't step out with the mentality that we are something great, so God has to do it. No, that's not really the way it works. We, we, We step out in faith recognizing that God is great and he is willing to walk with us. We're not called to greatness, but to service. I hope in these last few weeks that you've uh, grabbed a hold of what God's saying to us as a body, but we, we, have to, to, uh, we have to grab a better picture of our future, and that doesn't mean easy street, setting back, and, uh, and drinking a Coke in the sun with our feet up in there, right? Although we may get to do that at times, right? And, and there's a place and a time for that, right? There's a place for us to be able to, to, to drink everything back in, drink in and, uh, and to, uh, to relax and give thanks to God. Uh, yet, yet at times between the, the celebration and, and the start of things, we, we, uh, we have to put our hands to the plow, right? We have to uh, move forward and we have to trust him. I don't know if you know of the pastor uh, who's retired now, Tommy Barnett. Uh, he pastored uh, uh, a Phoenix first in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, he, of course he's retired and uh, now it's called Dream City Church. And uh, so as their, as their church grew over time, they strategically reached out to people. They even came to a place where they were able to put together what was called the Dream Center. Other churches did that too around the same time as well. Uh, but, but they did that and they made a great impact on their community, helping those who were in really in some serious and dire situations in their lives. And Luke Barnett did the similar thing in Los Angeles in Angeles Temple, if you've been around Pentecost for very long, you may uh, know that name for Angelus Temple in, uh, in Los Angeles area, uh, which is a four-square church. But it, uh, and they're in a difficult part of town, a challenging part of town. And I know some of our youth in the past have been out there uh, and experienced what it was like. And I've driven by that place a few times, uh, going to councils and different things. But 
They were willing to put, be the hands and the feet of Jesus to the world that they were in. What did Jesus say over in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, and he also said in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verse 11, he says, The greatest among you will be your servant. We may not be called to be great, but we've been called to serve, and no one is above service. None of us are, and the poorest of the poor can serve, and the richest of the rich can serve. The gospel is about adding value to the lives of people. Why? Because people matter. People matter. Every person matters. And in the last couple of weeks, we've considered how Jesus has added value to other people's lives and how the early church added value to people. And, and finally, we, we looked at how the church over the centuries have added uh, value to people's lives as well. So today, we're going to start out again and uh, as we wrap this up with how, how, what did Jesus do? Well, we know he added value to people, but how, what are some other ways that he did that? Well, Jesus ate without outcast people at times, like tax collectors who, who to show them their value, and then he pointed them to God's pathway. That's what he did. He did those kind of things. All, all too many times we think of Jesus reaching out to the poor, and he did that. That's what, one of the things he did. But most of the time, we forget that Jesus met with those who also had means as well because he loved all people. And there's a common denominator here that we must not ignore. We must not forget it. If you are poor, you need God. But if you have money, you need God. See, the, really, the, the, the fact is, is it doesn't matter what your financial status, we all need God. And sometimes those who are poor think that if I can just get some money, everything will be all right. And we find that especially in our world's lust for money. But people go to what I call legal, but maybe Ill, uh, uh, illicit places to put their money down on a pair of spades. Or maybe they run to the corner market to pick up a lottery ticket trying to, uh, to get rich quick. But what happens to so many people when they, when they win something like that? They end up, a lot of times, they lose it. But money, money slips through their hands, and uh, there's still that void inside of the person. There's so many things that people can do, and, and, and then we, we, they miss out on the big thing that God has for them. On, on the other side of this are those who have money and realize just because you have money doesn't mean every, everything is good. And those with money end up searching for something by purchasing stuff or they purchase experiences that can make them happy and it doesn't satisfy them. They buy the latest car or the latest jewelry. Maybe they pick up a yacht. I don't know. Uh, but they, they can do that and they can, they can do, get all these things and their happiness will last a while. And maybe it'll last for quite a while. I don't know. But it can't buy you peace with God. God left his, this void in every person, no matter what your status is in life. And we find Jesus eating with, with a man who had climbed a ladder to success. We find him here, uh, and it's going to be over in Luke chapter 5. 
we, we find him doing this, and he had done well, this guy had, and had friends and places with money too, and, and uh, they fed off of each other's ideas. I guess they drank each other's Kool-Aid, but they, they were kind of people who, who would do anything to rise to a place of financial stability and power, uh, even if it meant taking advantage of others. That's sure the world hasn't changed, right? People haven't changed, uh, and we live in the same kind of world today, maybe a little bit of difference, but, but not all that much. And so some of them even came to John the Baptist before this scenario that we're going to see with Jesus and one of these tax collectors. They come to John the Baptist, and it says in Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 13, even tax collectors came to be baptized teacher, they're speaking to John the Baptist, they ask, what should we do? <laughs> Remember, he was preaching uh, uh, to, for them to repent and to turn to God. And, and, and John the Baptist says, don't collect any more than you are uh, required to, he told them. It's kind of like John says, quit ripping them off. Just don't rip them off anymore. Quit making the phone calls, you know. That, quit making that robocall to see who you can get and to get their, get their debit card number. And he said, just stop doing that. And if you do your regular job, that's okay. No, nobody likes tax collectors, but, you know, if that's what you're going to do, it's fine as long as you do it the right way. But now we, 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 find, uh, we find Jesus speaking and we find him in the situation in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at, at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Then there in verse 30 it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, But why, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we, we see here what's happening, and Jesus sets down to take the time to eat with Levi, or in others we call him Matthew. Uh, and so some of these guys have uh, more than one name. And, and who, uh, who was, he, this guy was big in the investment industry. And uh, you invest in the Roman infrastructure, and he takes his cut as much as he can. That's the way they did it. That's the way the Romans allowed him to do it. But Jesus called him uh, away from this lifestyle. He actually uh, one-ups him from what John the Baptist said. And what does Levi do? He, he says, you, you have to meet my other friends. These guys, they, they do taxes too. And of course, some of the people had a problem with this, but Jesus knew why he came. He knew why he was here, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He came to give hope to those who needed hope, whether they were rich or poor, whether they had stuff or they didn't. So what are we called to do? That's a reminder to us. We're, we're called to serve and to give hope. Rich or poor, doesn't matter who we are. Every person is important. Every person has value on this earth. 
a guy named Eugene Land. He was a wealthy man who uh, changed the lives of a sixth grade class and, uh, in East Harlem. And, and you've heard of other things like this in uh, recent years as well. But uh, Land had been, uh, uh, he had been asked, asked to speak to a class of, of 59 sixth graders. And what could he say to really inspire these students, you know? And uh, he's just kind of in this, he's kind of out of his league at this point. And uh, because most of these kids, he knew by the stat, uh, statistics that most of them would drop out of school. It's a reality. And he wondered how he could really get these children even to look at him. And so he, he ended up, he had notes and he scrapped his notes, he set them aside. Uh, and he starts uh, talking to them, and he spoke to them from the heart, and he said this. He said, stay in school, and I'll help pay, I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. So he says that. And at that moment, the lives of these students, it changed because all of a sudden now they had hope. They actually had a reason. Hey, maybe I can get past this place that I'm at. Maybe I actually do have some value that somebody does really care. And so this isn't, this isn't a federal or a government thing. I'm not talking about that. So this is an individual saying, I'm seeing value in the lives of these individuals, and I'm going to do what I can to help them. And for the first time, they had hope. And one student said this. He said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. And nearly 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school, which is significant. 90%. Sure, there were some that didn't. They probably got tripped along the way, but 90% of them did. And really, it showed that these sixth graders that somewhat valued them, and it gave them some hope for their future. Something good could happen in their future. And he gave a hope that no one else could provide, at least not in their situation. And so we need to keep those kind of things in mind when we relate to others in the world that we live in. Because they may not look like us, they may not act like us, they may not have the same kind of mindset as us. And so the Lord may give us opportunity to give them some hope that they may not have. You think about the, the 12 that Jesus calls. The, these, the, the 12 disciples who, are, who now become apostles. And, and, and he, he brings these guys in to be his disciples from really from every part of society. Uh, and some would say they're a motley crew. It's a hodgepodge of people that he brings in. And some of them did okay financially. Some of them were probably poor. And the first one we can think of is Simon Peter. Yeah, everybody knows Simon Peter and Andrew. They were brothers. They were from a fisherman's family. And that's what they did. That's what their dad's business was. Then you have James and John. They, too, were in the fishing industry. Uh, they all, all four of those guys left that behind. But they were common people. And then you had Philip. Uh, he went by his Greek name. We don't even know why he went by his Greek name, really. And, uh, but he was a Jewish guy himself. We, we know that. But, uh, and then we see Bartholomew or Nathaniel. Uh, I don't know if they used middle names or what they did. Sometimes Jesus gave them nicknames. But, hey, we keep on going. And, and this guy, he showed prejudice about the people of Nazareth over, uh, over in John chapter 1. You, you see all kinds. Then you had Thomas. Thomas was a twin. Where's his brother at? Think about that. Thomas is a twin with Didymus. Uh, we know that from the, 
from the language there. So he, this guy's a twin, and he's an outspoken skeptic. He's kind of skeptical. In fact, he could be a little bit of, pass, uh, of a pessimist as well. You, you see these guys, Jesus brings all these in. And then Matthew or Levi, we just read about this guy. He was the money-hungry guy, right? Uh, doing the taxes and all that, and he could buy his way out of trouble with the Romans or even anybody else he needed to. Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, we don't know much about him. Uh, and then there's Thaddeus or Judas who uh, really uh, questioned Jesus about, why don't you reveal yourself to the world? Do it now. Why, why, what's holding you back? We're seeing these different guys. And then there's another Simon. He was an aggressive zealot. This guy was interesting because he was a political activist. A lot of us don't think about that. He was an activist. He's one of those guys who carried a dagger around on his leg to be able, if there was somebody that was going to uh, get in his way of his politics, he was going to take them out, and I don't mean to Denny's. Yeah. Yeah, if they were a Roman sympathizer, yeah, he was going to take them out. Does that sound familiar today? doesn't matter in the political world that we have around us because we live in the world. And th then you have Judas Iscariot. We, we don't know a lot about him. There are a few things we know about him. He was the treasurer and he embezzled money from Jesus' ministry. We know that. The scripture writes about it. And then later he portrays Jesus. But you, you have to remember, not all of them stayed that way though, right? If you look at the beginning, their end isn't always the same as the way they started out. Remember what, what Jesus said uh, over in, uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Je Jesus calls us. He calls each and every one of us. He didn't, he didn't call us because we were perfect. He just didn't do that. He called us because we needed help and we needed to be able to turn towards him. And, and, and we, we also need to be people who are willing to admit that we need him. Jesus was uh, ever willing to encourage people from every part of, the, of society. And, and to those in the community of Jewish leaders, he, uh, he would talk to them as well, but he would usually challenge their understanding, their interpretation of the Word of God. And Jesus would, Jesus would challenge them to quit taking advantage of others under the, under the cover uh, of religious authorities. Like, you can't do that, guys. Remember what Paul said about Jesus over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus knew what this is about because he said he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You would think Jesus, the Son of God, could have pulled the strings at any time. Hey, I'm the Son of God, so this is the way we're going to do it. Sure, there may have been times he did that, from, but the scripture speaks of him as one who came as a, a sheep unto slaughter. Have you ever been in those places? You know what a sheep is like when they come to slaughter? I, I've worked at one of those places when I was a young person. They don't say much. They don't know what's happening. But that's the way he handled that. He was calm. To the rich young ruler, Jesus challenged him to give up his luxury and follow him. I'm not sure where you're at in this. I, I'm not sure where, where you're at in this place. But, with, but what we know is this. You were called to follow Christ and to serve others and encourage them to come to a place of repentance. That, that word repentance just, is, just means to turn away from the, the way we have been living and turn towards God. Allow God to work in our lives.
Okay, let's the second thing. What, what did the early church do? Well, not only did Jesus add value to people, but the early church added value to people as well. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. We know that because we've read the scripture. That's the awesome thing about the Bible. It doesn't hold any punches. It tells you the way it is, and then you have to deal with some of that. And for some, they're like, oh, I can't believe they said that. Well, the reality is, is they said the truth, and you just have to deal with that. Then, so... Here we now, we have that what did the early church do? We have an African man that was seeking the truth. And, and Philip ends up revealing Jesus to him, explaining he's the Messiah. So we find this account over in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8. And the church has been scattered at this point because of all kinds of persecution in Jerusalem. And now with all this intense pressure, and so we find a man from North Africa who believed and worshipped God and even went to Jerusalem because he wanted to worship God. And Acts chapter 8 verse 26 says this. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, you want to notice that. So an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So it's kind of like he's in his Cadillac, right? So he's in his Cadillac, he's got his windows down, uh, and, uh, and the driver is driving him along, and all of a sudden, here comes Philip up, and he overhears him. It's a quiet Cadillac, right? They ride smooth, they're very, yeah. And so he, there he is, and, and let's go on from here. And it says, on his way home, he was sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked him. How, how can I, he said, unless somebody, uh, someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. He said, come up, driver, stop for a second, open the door to the Cadillac, get in. We're going to sit back, going to play some nice sweet tunes. We're going to read the Bible. And so he has a small group lesson right there in the back of his chariot. If you know the rest of the story, you realize this government official was reading about the Messiah who would give his life for us, and Philip was able to explain to him about Jesus, and the man came to faith in the Messiah, Jesus. See, God orchestrated this. He set it, set it up. He actually sent an angel to speak into the life of Philip and said, I need you over here. This is where I want you. And so Luke is recording this. He's telling the story afterwards, and he writes this down in the book of Luke, or the book of Acts, sorry. And so Philip, what does he do? He, he, he speaks to him, and so this guy was convinced, and he wanted to be baptized as an outward sign of his faith in Jesus. Because now he hears, he's reading what the Old Testament was saying about the Messiah who was going to come, and now he, the Messiah has come, and now Philip is explaining what this passage was talking about. Philip added value to this man. He took the time to add value into his life. He, see, he could have ignored the direction of the Holy Spirit because of the color of the Ethiopian skin. 
He could have chosen to do that, right? He could have done that. He, uh, Philip knew this man had value to God, and, and he could have even ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit because he was a eunuch. We'll touch that. It's possible he was a servant who was sterilized to get his job. That's the reality. That's what that meant back in that time. And I know in this situation, that's likely what it's saying. And I know there's some other ideas. There's sometimes that was used of an official, but a lot of times it was because that was the case. We, we know there was a stigma attached to being a eunuch in ancient societies. They, 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 they couldn't even go inside the temple to worship, but he would remain outside. Remember, it says that he actually went to Jerusalem, right? So he probably didn't get to go inside of the temple because of this. But the Jewish historian, if we want to understand what the attitudes of the time were about that, we listen to the historian. Uh, uh, his name, as you know, is uh, Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian. He reflects the attitudes of some of the people towards eunuchs, and this is what he writes, quote, Avoid any conversation with them uh, who have deprived themselves of their manhood. Then he goes on to say, let such be driven away, end of quote. It's not too far off from society today. It really isn't. It's a, it's a challenging thing. But Philip was willing to bridge the gap to relate this person to Jesus so that they could repent and then come to faith in what Jesus has done for them. And, and, and Philip could have ignored him. He, he could have just ignored him. We, we know that Philip didn't say, oh, it's okay what, how your life is. We, it's okay uh, or how, what your lifestyle is. But he doesn't. He doesn't condone his lifestyle. He just preaches Jesus to him. Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't have uh, condoned it either, but he would have met him and interacted with him. And he, in fact, the Holy Spirit sent him. Uh, and Luke chapter 5, verse 32 tells us something about this. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So basically he's saying he's called people to repent, to turn, to turn to God. And Philip chose to sit down with this man who sold himself out to get this job to explain to him the way of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. What happened? This, this man was born again. He was born again through faith. His life was changed and Philip shared Christ with him and called him towards repentance. And each and every one of us as followers of Jesus in the world that we live in isn't always an easy world to live in, but we also understand that we what? We love God, we love people, and we inspire hope. We're trying to help them, and we want to share the gospel of Jesus so people can come to a place of faith and hope in Jesus. They can turn away from the way they were to the way they're called to be. Philip reached out because, like Paul said in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen and fifteen, it says this: "For Christ, for Christ's love ha compels us. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and He died for all, that those who sh who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him." who died for them and was raised again. So what are you living for? We have to ask ourselves, what, what are we living for? Is it for our likes or, and our dislikes? 
Uh, is it for Christ who died for you and who was raised from the dead? I, I hope that it's from that that, that we, we find hope in what he's done for us. Are you, are you willing to reach out to the eunuchs of today, those who are struggling, to the, to the foreigner of the day who is trying to make sense of everything? Uh, and are we willing to love people and, and love God and inspire hope in the lives of people? Some have ran the wrong direction for so long they don't know which way is up and which way is down. They live in a society that's pretty confused. And so we have to be able to allow the word of God to speak into their lives so that they can find hope that Jesus brings. They may be forceful at times. They may be filled with pain. But Jesus calls them to repentance to turn towards him, the one who loves them. See, you and I have the opportunity to reach out to them with the love of God, whoever the person is, whoever they are, sharing the hope that Jesus is the one that can flip their world back up on its feet again. Because we've all been in a place where we've, our world has been upside down, right? We've all been in those places at one point or the other, but he can flip our lives back up on its feet again, that we can get our bearings, so to speak, and understand that he does have a plan for us and that you are valuable to God. There's not one individual. I don't care how mean they are, how rude they are, how terrible they may be. There's not one individual that does not have value. God values everyone. He loves it. Don't, don't be pulled into the false beliefs that they may have, and, but just share the truth with them in love. It has to be in, in a way of love, right? And, and love is a choice. We understand that. We, we choose to love. That's the, that's the God kind of love that Scripture teaches. Share the, the, the God kind of love. You, you, uh, love uh, you, you, aren't, you aren't called to greatness, but to service. Be the best kind of Philip you can be to say, yeah, Lord, I'm going to share hope with others around me. So the, the final part of this is with this. What, what is the church, as weak as the church is and has been over the centuries, what, what, what has the church done over the centuries? They've added value to people. I'm not, we're not saying they're perfect, right, because they're human beings and sometimes they mess up, right? But they've served those in foster care along their life journey. Even though the road isn't an easy one, many over the years have invested in the lives of so many young people in different ways by adding value into their lives, like Royal Rangers and Impact Girls and those kind of things, and, and, and the Topeka First Youth. Those people invest. They invest in their lives. The church gave relief uh, uh, in disaster areas when people have lost it all. Like the typhoons and the and the tsunamis that have taken place over the years, and hurricanes like the like those that happened in Japan, and then back in Indonesia back in 2004. Some of us remember that, and when when that when the when that 9.3 uh, on the Richter scale earthquake hit in the Indian Ocean and took uh, uh, Banda Aceh uh, off of the map, they lost uh, 200,000 people were victims to that. And people came in to help and assist them. The whole city was gone. No, we can't do it all, right? We can't do it all. We understand that. 
Yet, we can do what we're able to do. As followers of Jesus, you know, it, it is important for us. Sometimes I think when we see things like this or disasters, natural disasters, you watch too much news about that stuff, it's going to discourage you. Be careful about that. But I understand we do what we can do, right? We do what we can do and what the Lord gives us the ability to do to help and to, and to minister to the lives of people for those that are, have needs in their lives. They help fire victims who've lost their houses and belongings. I had a family member who lost everything in a fire, and it was the local church that reached out to help them with clothes and essentials until the insurance kicked in, because the reality is insurance isn't usually there immediately, and they, the, the other people said, hey, we got this, and they took care of them. Some lose it all, and they need people to walk beside them. Topeka First is called not, not to greatness, but to service. We're called to add value to the lives of people and our communities around us. How do we add value? There's three things we've been talking about in these last few weeks of sharing the, the message of Jesus and his love for them by, by preaching the word of God, not just a nice little homily or speech that makes us feel good while we ignore repentance. That, that doesn't benefit anybody. Uh, but as Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, these words, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom, I'm, of whom I am chief. Paul said that in King James Version. It's just a reminder. He said, I know, I was messed up. I needed Jesus. The second thing is reaching out in creative ways to meet needs. See, we live in a world that has faced so many mental health crises today after, uh, after the pandemic, which, we've, uh, which has caused so many uh, to face anxiety, to ramp up symptoms of depression and all these things. And, and right now, we, in fact, our board even met this last week. We're, we're meeting and uh, extending our relationship with Christ First Counseling, who is based in this building. They have one of their offices here and have several counselors there. And so we're working together with them with the possibility of doing parenting classes, uh, grief classes, and other seminars like that to be able to help uh, in our body and also outside for others in our community. So we're working on those things as well. We're, and we're extending our message of hope through local and foreign missions. We will always be doing that to be able to support missionaries and being creative to serve them both serving stateside and around the world. We'll always be doing that. That's, that's something that's part of us. That's who we are. Let's really wrap up this morning. Two thoughts I want to leave to you, and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll worship together one last song. May we pray as Jesus challenged people to pray. He said it over in Matthew 9. He said, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the, his harvest field. We ask the Lord not only to send workers, but finally, that we may recognize our responsibility because it's not those people over there, or it's not staff, or this or that. It's, it's all of us as the body of Christ. 
when we recognize our responsibility as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, where he said this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Send me. And for some, you say, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm hanging around. I'm here. I don't know about sending me. Maybe it's you need to be able to come to that place where you put Jesus as Lord in your life. Allow him to start working in your life. And invite him. Invite him into the place where you live. Say, Jesus, work in my life. I put my hope and my trust in you. You can do that today. But for some, you may have to say, here I am, Lord, send me. You say, I'm not sure how to do that. That's simple. Say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I don't know what that means, Lord, but I know that you'll help me to see what it is you'd have me to do in my day and time and in the way you have set up for me. Let me pray for you all now. Father, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would send forth labors. Send them into your harvest field, in the place where people are, those, the people that you value, Father of every kind, because you love people, no matter what sometimes men and women say, you value all people. Lord, I pray that you would just do your work in our lives. Help us, Lord, and we say, Lord, yes, Send us. We will go to, Lord, to help us and enable us to serve you. Enable us to reach out with the love of God. Enable us to be able to share your hope because I know, Lord, that you want to give hope to every person, not just some people. Some of you here may say, you know what? I don't think the Lord values me at all. I don't think God even cares about my life. I don't know how God could even care about my life when I've lived how I have. Or maybe he doesn't even notice I'm here, but he does because he cares. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross on your behalf so that you could become a child of God, so that you could follow him. He has made a way for you so that you could have hope. Father, I pray for those that said that in their heart. I pray that you would help them to receive what you have for them today. Father, we thank you and we bless your name in Jesus' name.